I guess I started questioning my next step and I did not know what to do. And I was supposed to go back to Israel. And it was a very, again, challenging time. I enjoyed my time in Hawaii uh, for that short visit, but that visit turned into a whole year. And um, kind of, I think the pinnacle of it is I'm walking down Waikiki Beach and trying to decide, should I get back on that plane or not? Now I'm 18 years old. You know, my parents live in Israel. Um, I don't have any family. And I was introduced to this idea of universe, give me a sign. And I prayed and I asked for a sign and I'm walking in Waikiki Beach with my head face down and just needing some guidance. And I kind of raise my head at that point and I look ahead of me and this person's just walking in front of me and my eyes fixated on their shirt. And the shirt said, go home or go all the way. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and BJ, and it is here each week where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. And I think if you ask anyone who feels as though they are doing what they came to this earth to do, they will tell you that it's always evolving and calling them to more. I know it's true for us, and I can only assume that it is also true for our guests today. Dr. Alon Sitzer is a board-certified family and lifestyle physician who is calling his patients to higher levels of health as he guides the industry of healthcare back to a relationship-building partnership of well-being. Dr. Sitzer is the founder of Empowerment based in Newburyport, Massachusetts, where he provides family, lifestyle, and spiritual medicine in person. Actually, he goes to his patients' homes. Empowerment is one of the growing number of private practices that have moved away from the traditional insurance-based model and into a patient-first experience. Dr. Sitzer's intention is to inspire, motivate, support, and encourage people to become proactive about their health needs and foster a sense of self-compassion, care, and kindness. He believes that the body is an amazing creation that knows how to heal and that healthcare is truly a process of self-care. He is also one of the wonderful doctors offering virtual patient care through plant-based telehealth, and we're so honored that he's spending time with us today. This is the first time we're meeting, and from what we know, we have a wonderful story to uncover today. We've been looking forward to diving in, and also, as we have just become aware of, this is Dr. Sitzer's first podcast. So we are so excited to welcome you into this medium and welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Justin BJ. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So Newburyport, we've got, I've got a very good friend of mine. Um, I don't know if you practice small yoga correction. at all. Small correction. Wow. I actually live in West Newbury, which is oh. a neighboring town uh, to Newburyport. Um, okay. Whatever it's worth. No, but yeah, I know those town lines back east. We're we're for, we're, we're New from Englanders. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome. But I have a very good friend, a woman that I uh, run re- uh, yoga meditation retreats with, and she lives in Newburyport, uh, which is not where you live, but she teaches at uh, Riverside Yoga. I don't know if you're familiar with that or or um, if you practice familiar. yoga. Who, yeah, who is who? What's her name? Is Megan Layton. <gasps> She's a wonderful teacher. If um, if you do practice yoga, um, I highly recommend attending her class. She's lovely. I think you would you would enjoy it. I that's I don't know her, but uh, yeah, that's great. That's 
great to know about for sure. Yeah. River, it looks like a beautiful studio as well. So, um, yes, I want to hear your story. You grew up in the Holy Land. I believe you were born in Texas. Um, and I'm not referring to Texas as the Holy Land. I'm referring to Israel. Uh, and I'd love to hear about, I know you went to medical school there. I'd just love to hear about your journey, if you'd be so so kind to share with us um, just this journey of who you are today. Well, I was born in Houston, Texas. Um, my mom was actually born in Palestine before Israel became Israel in 1948. And my dad came to Israel when he was a young kid, 13 years old from Argentina. And they met there and uh, had two older brothers. And then they moved to, to Texas. And I was born there. And then at age five, we moved back to Israel. Uh, my mom missed her mom and her parents. So we returned home and I grew up in a small town outside of Tel Aviv. Um, Israel is a awesome country full of excitement and vitality. And what kind of most people hear on the news, it also has another side to it. So, um, I would say that one of the pivotal moments in my life and my journey was the first Desert Storm War because I lived in Israel at the time and uh, with uh, Saddam Hussein back in the day and um, uh, missiles were kind of flying over our heads back then. And uh, to put it simply, it was definitely quite a traumatic period for me. It was very, very uh, challenging. Um on kind of a mental and an emotional level, yet it kind of uh, started, a, I would say, a spiritual journey for me. Um, not that I was aware of that concept back then. Um, and kind of one thing led to another. Um, and at the age of 18, I basically decided to go on a journey to seek, uh, to seek truth. Uh, and really, uh, it was a journey to kind of heal myself um, like I said, uh, probably the the real pivotal moment was uh, the sirens going up and down, uh, kind of two, three o'clock in the morning, and we all kind of ran into our uh, sheltered room in our apartment and put our gas masks on, sat under the piano, and it was a, a thunderstorm outside and not knowing what was really blowing up, whether it was thunder or missiles. And um, let's just say it created a lot of fear in me and that at the age of, I don't know how, I think I was 14, um, I didn't really know how to deal with and um, fear that was overwhelming to the point that it kind of got the best of me and kind of took over. And um Kind of fast forward, um, my I have two older brothers, like I said, they were kind of on this journey. And my older brother, who's 10 years older than myself, and his name is Erez, by the way. And Erez means cedar tree in Hebrew. And my other brother, his name is Nitsan, which means bud, the flower bud. So a lot of nature. Um, yeah. And um, he kind of uh, came to visit and... Uh, kind of opened my mind to terms like the universe and spirituality and Zen and 
things that were kind of new to someone who kind of lived a very standard Israeli lifestyle. Um, and at the age of 18, I left kind of a pre-army vacation to, uh, to Hawaii. It was a, all men go to the Israeli army at age of 18. And so do women, by the way. Uh, men go for three years. And at the time, women went, I believe, for two years. And um, I got to Hawaii. Uh, actually, before I got to Hawaii, I got to my brother, my other brother who lived in Denver, Colorado. And this is the 90s when uh, um, kind of new age bookstores were abound, where crystals were a real thing and tarot cards and, you know, self-help books and... Uh, it was just a wonderful environment to be in. Those, those stores felt like sanctuaries. And um, I was introduced to a lot of that when I lived with my brother for a few weeks, visited him in Denver. And then I uh, followed and, and went to Hawaii. I, I surf. And so the goal was to kind of go surfing in Hawaii and return to Israel and go into the army. Um, but uh, things kind of took a turn, um, kind of unplanned. Um, and when I got to Hawaii, I, uh, at the time I was reading the book, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And if you recall in the book, you know, there's a point where he has all his belongings are stolen, um, uh, at one point kind of early on his journey. And I was reading that book at the time. And, um, the day that I arrived to Hawaii, the following morning, uh, with some, a group of other surfers, we, we drove to the North shore to sunset beach and we went surfing and I brought all my stuff with me or my kind of my passport and my money and my plane tickets. And, um, when we got back to the car, someone broke into it and it was all stolen. So at the time I was kind of <laughs> bummed, obviously, but at the same time, I was kind of, whoa, you know, the alchemist. And I kind of had all these uh, ideas in my head. But um, that kind of changed the direction. And I guess I started questioning my next step. And I did not know what to do. And I was supposed to go back to Israel. And it was a very, again, challenging time. I enjoyed my time in Hawaii uh, for that short visit. But that visit turned into a whole year and um, kind of I think the pinnacle of it is I'm walking down Waikiki Beach and trying to decide should I get back on that plane or not. Now I'm 18 years old. I, um, you know, my parents live in Israel. Um, I don't have any family. And I, uh, I was introduced to this idea of universe, give me a sign. And I prayed and I asked for a sign and I'm walking in Waikiki Beach with my head face down and just needing some guidance. And I kind of raise my head at that point and I look ahead of me and this person's just walking in front of me and my eyes fixated on their shirt. And the shirt said, go home or go all the way. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And so I... I feel in a way I did both, but, um, you know, home became a, a new place eventually. Um, and I decided to go all the way and it was exciting, exciting for me. It was, uh, scary. It was unknown. Um, and so I, I basically did not return to Israel. Um, 
and I kind of had to um, in, in order to get back in. Um, you know, it was it's mandatory to go to the Israeli army. Um, and for me at that time, I just, I wasn't in the, in the, in, in, in a place, in a state of heart and state of mind to do that. And I, I, I needed a lot of healing, um, on many, many levels, um, and to figure things out for myself. Um, I don't know the extent I was thinking about that back then, you know, but in retrospect, it's kind of what I needed. So I actually stayed in Hawaii for a year. I, 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 I had no clue how to live life as an adult because I didn't feel like I really was an adult yet. Um, and my brother at the time lived in Japan. So one in Japan, one in Denver, Colorado. And I had daily phone conversations with my brother in Japan who kind of taught me how to start living. You need to get a job. <laughs> you know, start doing things. And I, I, I found a small health food store that kind of also introduced me to a lot of concepts on health. Um, and at the time I, I read a book called fit for life, uh, kind of turned vegan kind of fairly over a few days time because I was so blown away by all the information in that book. Um, I also had a, got a job at Woolworth Waikiki, which I believe is probably still there, but this amazing guy who basically for a living created toys. And one of the things he created was these little toy gliders that you throw up in the air and they come back to you. And so my job was, uh, we had a little stand in the middle of Woolworth and I basically play with these toys and, um, sell them. And the job was fun, but my boss, this guy, his name was Michael. I can't remember his last name, but he was so creative. And he used to have weekly gatherings with me and another gentleman who worked with us. And he was always at a restaurant and he, he was all about teaching success. And he had us read the book, how to win people or how to, uh, what is it? Uh, by Napoleon Hill, but how to influence people, how to win friends and influence people. A very popular book back from the 60s or 50s. And um, I kind of learned so much. I was kind of doing the school of life in a way. Um, and eventually uh, Hawaii felt small. The island felt small. And I it was time to leave. And I moved to, to my brother in Denver, Colorado and lived with him. And uh, lived there for two years, eventually moved to Boulder, Colorado, and I had the joy of living in Boulder uh, with all its amazing people. Um, worked at Whole Foods Market um, at customer service for, for quite a while. Did singing telegrams in Denver and Boulder for a while. Um, kind of explored um studied uh, studied nutrition um the same people who wrote the book fit for life um i basically um kind of did the same course that they did and 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 that book was all about um back then it was called raw food diets but it was basically about plant-based nutrition and it also delved into the sciences of fasting and um 
it was really fascinating to me. So, and during those several years, I'm talking about like four or five years, I would travel a bit back and forth to Israel. Um, at one point, I had to actually um, kind of spend a few days in in an army jail because um, I had to kind of, uh, when I went back to visit my family, that was kind of the first thing that happened. And they just took me to the army because I had to. And uh, one thing led to another. And eventually I, 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 I got out and, you know, let me just say that, um, you know, I think, I think there are places where, I mean, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not against anything. Um, I think there's room for having an army in the world that we live in and it has definitely a function. But for me at the time, um, I kind of, it just, it wasn't in my cards. Um, the idea of someone, you know, and there's definitely more to this, but the thoughts at the time that I had was, you know, I don't, I don't have anything against anyone who was apparently by maybe fate born on the other side of this border and kind of automatically makes it my enemy is just, it never kind of fit, never sat well. There's obviously more to it. And as you know, Israel is a, a crazy place on so many levels. Um, and it definitely needs an army, um, that's a controversial subject on so many levels and I'm not here to get in the middle of it. And that's why I kind of speak for myself. Um, and, um, eventually, um, yeah, I returned to the States and I, uh, I spent some time at Kripalu yoga center. Um, I, I had a cousin, I call him a cousin cause we have the, the, the same last name. Um, we're both sitzers. Um, and, uh, he, uh, was, he was a, one of the directors of their body work program. And at the time I was a massage therapist. I studied massage while I was in Israel. Um, and he invited me to come and be an assistant at the program. And so I returned to the States and um spent there about six to eight weeks um had a an amazing time learned a lot by teaching um one thing led to another relationship kind of led me up to vermont that's how i kind of got to vermont um uh worked at uh smuggler's notch uh ski center um as a massage therapist so i was a snowboard massage therapist bum for several seasons for a few years and finally my mom kind of told me that massage was definitely just a hobby it wasn't a real a real job and i sat at the top of mount mansfield in vermont and kind of thought what what is my calling? What do I want to do? And I thought, you know, I really like caring for people. And so I decided to go to medical school. <laughs> Little did I know what I was getting into. Um, at the time, I had no clue what ibuprofen was or Tylenol or anything. And I was fairly kind of, you know, I was brainwashed in my nutritional studies to kind of not think well of medicine. And 
one of the reasons of wanting to also go to medical school was to kind of understand medicine and understand physicians and understand why do physicians think the way they think when they approach sickness um, and illness and why is the treatment not nutrition and maybe fasting and giving the body a break and a rest and taking care of all those lifestyle kind of needs. And um, so one thing led to another and I had the option to go to back to Israel and I went to the Sackler School of Medicine, which is an American program, but in Tel Aviv University. So again, got the opportunity to go home and live in the town that I grew up in near my parents. Um, and that was, again, um, that was exciting. Um, it was a great period. And then I decided to go into family medicine. So my medical residency was uh, in Hartford, Connecticut. And I returned to the States, um, did that residency, met my wife in Hartford. She's from, she's from Connecticut. And after residency, I got a job or took a job in rural America in a small town named Lovington, New Mexico. My wife was um, amazing and courageous and kind enough to join me to this rural town of I don't know, 5,000, 6,000. Um, we didn't live in that town. We lived 30 minutes away in a town called Hobbs, New Mexico, which is the southeast corner of New Mexico, where there's kind of a lot of those oil kind of mm-hmm. tumbleweed. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of more like Texas than the New Mexico most people think about. Um, and we lived there for close to four years. Um, I did primary care, I did some hospital work, and I fell into wound care medicine, which taught me a lot, um, and it was a great experience. Um, and eventually, my wife wanted to, uh, we had we have two kids. One kid was born in Hobbs, uh, Sky, and Lily was born in Denver City, Texas, because they didn't have uh, OB services in Hobbs anymore. So we had to drive about 30, 40 minutes away, and um, they were born in, uh, there. And so we wanted to be closer to family. Um, my parents still live in Israel, so we searched the area and... Um, we fell on this gorgeous location. Um, the Newburyport kind of area community is really wonderful. Um, and we've been here for about four years now. Um, I, I got a job at a, a local um, clinic, primary care clinic, as an outpatient and did that, adults. And then over the pandemic, things kind of changed. And I fell on this um, model of care called direct primary care and um, which kind of breaks away from the fee-for-service insurance world. And then last year in August 9th of 21, I I started Empowerment LLC, which uh, is kind of my full-time job right now. And then I'm also affiliated or I work with uh, plant-based telehealth for a few months now. And so 
that's in a nutshell, a little bit of a lot. Uh, you can, there's, you can dissect that for days and days and days, but uh, I'm going to take a pause. Yeah. I feel like you are, you are the story of the alchemist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's so interesting to see, like, I'm kind of looking at this the whole, parallels. yeah, I'm looking at this whole story from like beyond the atmosphere, right? Like I'm looking at this whole s story from a spiritual perspective and um, the, the trauma of war and the requirement of being in the army and landing yourself, you know, on some of the most spiritualized islands, which are, you know, the Hawaiian islands and, and having this, obviously having this connection, whether you are aware of it or not with this higher mind or higher self or whatever we want to call it universe that when you needed the sign, it was right there. And it was like taking that brave choice and just, you keep falling into the, the guy at Woolworths and the, you know, like how to be successful. You didn't know how to live. And, and you've got all these people that are teaching you. And, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of details in there, but just your willingness to follow this deeper call, whether it was clear or not, but just being clear on what didn't feel okay for you and honoring that. Um, it's just, it's beautiful story. I was quite entranced. Um, I was like, what's going to happen next? Um, mm -hmm. so with this, you know, this foundation or this that you've got from, you know, just discovering things in Boulder. We used to live in Boulder um, as well. I was actually wondering if you went to massage school there because I had gone to massage school there. But I mean, that's a, a wonderful place. A um, lot of spiritual teachings there, a lot of um, holistic medicine there. And then to go to this sort of uh, Western model of medicine, and as you're practicing primary care, were you, were you quote unquote, following the rules? Were you trying to bring in other influences or were you, or were you kind of finding this almost like this cognitive dissonance? Like, ah, uh, there's gotta be something more than how I can assist these patients. I, I think of me kind of integrating everything into kind of, uh, you know, I've, I've learned a lot over the years and um, I basically have lots of tools and, and, and medicine or, you know, pharmaceutical medicine is kind of one tool bag, you know, or toolbox. And, and, and sometimes if it's necessary, I, I can use it. But at a, as a foundation, I think I've always kind of practiced lifestyle medicine uh, even before kind of knowing what lifestyle medicine or before the term kind of became a term that it is now and as a kind of a, um, a respectful, a respected specialty or subspecialty in medicine where it has its, its college and there's a board certification process, etc. cetera. Um, so I kind of even as a massage therapist, I didn't just practice massage, uh, Swedish massage or sports medicine or Thai yoga. I used to eventually kind of take it all and kind of make a smorgasbord of, you know, different, um, you know, uh, uh, different uh, techniques. Um, so I think that's kind of what I do now, although I would say that um, the metaphor I always use is, you know, the tree of life, the trunk of the tree is not 
medicine. It's not pharmacy. It's 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 lifestyle. It's it's who we are. And the branches are kind of there's so many branches, and one of those branches is pharmaceutical medicine. And so I I've kind of learned over the years uh, to kind of give it the perspective that it it it, it really that it is and not thinking of medicine as the tree and, you know, plant-based nutrition or integrative medicine or acupuncture or whatever other tools we have are kind of just the leaves, you know, the perspective is the foundation is kind of who we are. It's our journeys. It's our habits. It's the choices we make. It's how we were raised. It's, there's so many elements to it. And when it comes to intervening and kind of, which is what medicine really is about, you know, um, or pharmaceutical medicine, it's just one branch. And all these branches are the different tools and the different choices we can make in, in the process of, of becoming healthy or whatever it is one's personal goal is um, that they're trying to achieve. Uh, in that, in that same analogy, the practice that you're, that you're, you are doing and moving towards is, is uniqueness is unique to each individual patient. So you can use the leaves, but you got to dig down to the roots to find what it is about this unique individual, Jess or myself. Like, what is it about the, the conditions that you're feeling now? What is it? What is at the root of what's, what's happening? And I think the surface level is, yeah, ibuprofen or whatever can kind of tame it a little bit, but what's at the root of it uh, back to growing up, you know, the food you ate or the conditioning that, you know, you got to finish everything on your plate, no matter what it is. Right. Um, yes. and living in big families, you have to eat like mass produced, you know, spaghetti meatballs. Like, I guess I'm speaking for myself, um, all the time because you're feeding five kids. So I think it's unearthing that, the individuality of, of each patient to find out, you know, and it takes time to get to the root to get to the root cause of, of what's happening. Absolutely. And that's kind of part of the, it's kind of why I broke away. I, I, I'm not, uh, I have no contracts with insurance companies and, you know, the system, the, the healthcare system, the medical system is built, you know, how can I really get to know anyone in 15 or 20 minutes? I mean, come on. I've been talking now for, I don't know, for 15, 20 minutes. I mean, you know, there is, we are so complex. There are so many, uh, there's so much about each and every individual. And so, um, you know, when you need to see 15 people a day, you kind of can't help it. You need to, you can only give it so much time. And, you know, in medicine, in school, we learn how to be efficient. We're taught how to be efficient. We're taught how to just write the ask, uh, ask the right question. And if I see that you're kind of drifting away, it's kind of, I'm going to bring it kind of back to not so much maybe where you were going to go to it with, but what I need to know in this time frame so that I can get the diagnosis and accordingly I can treat you properly. And so this new model that I use, direct primary care, or even the practice that I have now is, um, so there's no insurances. It's, it's, it's about becoming a member. Um, and I actually don't have a brick and mortar and it's intentional as well. So I go, I, I know where all my patients live. I mean, I, I know, I sometimes know where they sleep. I know what their kitchen looks like. I know what their house looks like. I know the neighborhood they live in. And I, I was never able to know anything 
you, you know, about an individual just by them coming to my office space, seeing me in my white coat and them kind of rehearsing what they're going to, what questions are, you know, okay, I know I only have 15, 20 minutes. Granted, in my even in my previous practice, all the clocks in my rooms never worked. And I, that was per, I did that intentionally. So I never was kind of had to rush so that I never could look at the clock. And I can't tell you how many magical moments I've had where, oh my God, I've been here for 40 minutes already. I'm running behind and I, cause you know, I can see there's someone. And then once I come out, the person never showed up. So everything would always kind of work out in the scheme of things. And honestly, I love those moments. Those were great moments when that happens, you know? And, um, and now, you know, it's a membership. People pay a monthly fee, but you know, I go to people's homes and sometimes I'll be there for an hour, for two hours. And um, the intention is to get to really know people and take the time, figure things out with them together, never feel rushed. You know, if you ask patients what the thing that bothers them the most when they go to see their doctor, you know, on the top there, it's going to be, well, I don't feel like I have enough time or maybe I feel rushed. And I mean, health is so so sacred. I mean, a doctor's office is, you know, people tell me things about themselves. They may not even tell their loved ones or their husbands or their wives, you know, and so they feel rushed and this is not, that is not right. This is, this is something that needs to be kind of honored. So um, that's kind of how I do it. And I also walk with my patients every Tuesday mornings, whoever wants to join. I, um, we do monthly events, uh, which is a plant-based potluck. And then we have, a, I have some educational uh, discussion. Um, I have a lady who's coming this Thursday who um, was faced with infertility and tried everything. And finally in her journey, she fell on whole food plant-based nutrition and she got pregnant within two months and she went ahead and wrote a book about it. And so she's in my area and, um, she's coming to give a talk. So I do grocery store tours. And again, the idea is how to inspire, how to kind of keep people proactive, because the one thing that separates those who stay on board with whatever their health goals are is simply support and having community. You know, when you're kind of told, go do this, eat more of this, exercise that, but you have to do it on your own, or maybe there's, it's challenging, you know, it's, it's so, you know, how can we make, how can I make healthcare more human, kind of hands-on, practical, real, so people really feel, ultimately cared for. Uh, and, and, I, and I find that that can make a difference. So. Yeah, it's because it's healthcare. So you would think that they allowing the patients to feel cared for is a number one priority. And how cool is it that you like if the foundation is lifestyle, and you're seeing it, you're, you're seeing their kitchen, you're seeing their home. You're seeing their environment, which is so strong. Environment mm -hmm. is so strong. Um, and maybe there's some pieces of that environment that can shift and change that would help to support their health, right? Like it's, I've never even thought about it that way. Like going to your office, yeah, with your nice white coat, um, that you don't know what my, you don't know what my lifestyle is like. 
Like you don't, you don't know if I have, you know, a trash can filled with fast food because I'm not going to tell you. I only have 15 minutes. And think about the <laughs> think about the energy. Like I'm going to go see my doctor. Like I got to rush there. I got to get the parking spot. I got to go up. I got to wait. I gotta, I'm going to pay it's for so something weird. and then I leave and then it's kind of like ticking the box. Like as long as I see you for the 15 minutes, then I can take off and just go back to what I'm doing versus in those experiences, you have one-on-one -on -one with them in a conversation. Maybe they begin to trust and open up and, and, uh, and peel back maybe a layer or two that says, this is what's really, maybe they can, what's really happening and they can release a little bit more information to you so that you can tr truly help, help them. Yeah. And ultimately it's not about me. And, you know, it's about, I always tell my patients, I'm not the captain of the ship here. You're the captain of the ship. And this is all about honesty and transparency. Whatever we're doing here is for you. And, you know, that's, uh, I think I once heard the statistic is 50% of those who, uh, I think, what is it? 50% of people who are prescribed medication only take them. There is some kind of ridiculous kind of fact. And, and, you know, we're always taught not to believe people when they tell you how many glasses of or drinks of alcohol they take. So I kind of think that on the same kind of line, people get a little bit embarrassed and they don't want to really, you know, everybody apparently is eating healthy. I don't remember, you know, it's very few of the patients who say, you know, I know I don't eat well, but oh yeah, I eat healthy. I eat good. To me, that's kind of, I don't really know what that means. You know, what you mean by eating healthy, for example, right? Um, but again, when you kind of, you know, today, the person that I went to his house, you know, at one point we were reading labels together. So at first they brought the, you know, they took out the gluten-free bread that they just bought that they really like. And eventually they took out those rich crackers and say, you know, things are starting to kind of come out and that's okay. You know, the, the, the idea is here that people shouldn't feel judged. We're all human, right? I I grew up on, you know, I kind of joke around that I I grew up in the Holy Land and then I moved to the land of hamburgers and steaks and you know, but the the point is some things are out of our control and it's 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 okay the way we are and and creating that environment of unconditional love, you know, allows people to kind of feel safe enough to be honest. And it's not so they're only honest with me, but ultimately so they're honest with themselves. And and that allows themselves to to hopefully to to heal or to 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 open themselves up in whatever shape or form or idea, whatever they need for themselves. So that's kind of the ultimate goal, if you will. So, yeah, I mean we yeah. have the fear of being judged is is massive. Um, and I think in that, in that, in a relationship where you feel like you're safe, we start to open. And as we start to open and we, when we share things and as coaches, I, I really could resonate when you said like, people tell you things that they don't tell their spouse, you know, or have never told anyone before. And whoa, like what, what an honorable space that we get to hold in, in that respect. But I think that when we begin to speak more truth, 
it's like we realize that the things that we've been holding on to because of this whatever conscious or subconscious fear of being judged, they're not that big of a deal. So what if you ate a sleeve of Ritz crackers? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like you're still loved because you exist, you know? And um, it's just, it's amazing. I think that in and of itself is massive healing. Um, this idea of truth, it's, it's so interesting. The timing is so beautiful. We, were we just launched a podcast yesterday. Uh, BJ and I do a podcast every month and we were talking about truth. We were talking about fear and we and we were saying in the in the face of fear right which is always about what's going to happen next it's like what is true right now what is true what is true right now what is true okay you had the ritz it's okay yeah i mean it it is and and ultimately i mean we live in in such a world that's so full of temptation and that temptation will never ever ever go away I don't care what grocery store you go to, what town you live in, and you're going to see that restaurant or whatever it may be. And it's kind of learning to live and love and understand the temptation or whatever it may be. And you know what? If you need a little bit of it in your life, to me, you know, I think that's okay. I don't think we need to be A plus students in every area of our lives, even in, 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 in our own health lives, to produce significant benefits to feel and to be healthier. So I always tell my patients, you know, if you're a B minus, you're going to do great. But if you're an F, if you're a 50% every week of the year, I don't know, things are going to start accumulating. So, you know, it's not you can do whatever you want, but it's kind of, you know, even a little bit will go a long way and, and more will even take you further. You don't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. And, um, and ultimately, you know, when we kind of start making healthier choices, I mean, we know our taste buds get better. Our, our, our body kind of responds to all that temptation in such a way that, you know what, it's kind of not, not that exciting anymore. It just kind of becomes not that exciting. And there's other ways to create, to create healthy, yummy, delicious meals that are tasty and all that kind of good stuff that eventually that can become your second nature and uh, not whatever the other habits you used to do. Or, you know, once you get on a kick of exercise, those endorphins, they are also, they can become, you know, uh, addicting and... And you, you, you learn to enjoy these things and, 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 and that's part of the process and the journey. And, um, so, you know, um, you, you mentioned truth and, and my website, I kind of mentioned, you know, ask me how I found truth. So I actually found truth and, um, I actually found it in New Mexico. So when I left Israel, when I was 18, my goal was to seek truth. And that was that was my focus. And um, fast forward two years, I am I am in New Mexico. I land in Santa Fe, New Mexico. At the time, I was kind of traveling. I was I didn't know what I was exactly doing. I was living in the present moment. I was just being the alchemist, whoever I was just being me. And um, I, I, there was this point of, well, am I going to stay now in Santa Fe, New Mexico, or should I go to Taos, New Mexico? Um, you know, I just, I didn't know what I was supposed to do and I was really confused. And so I decided to go to Taos and I decided to hitchhike 
And I kind of started hitchhiking and one guy got me onto their car and picked me up. And I was so confused at the time and indecisive about my decision to make. And I said, you know, stop the car. I, I, I need to get off. And I did. And then I was like, come on, Alon, let's get, let, we're, we're going to Taos. I was like, okay. So we're, I hitchhike again and I get on a car and again, I, I, I just, I was so frozen by indecisiveness that I, I get off the car again. And for the third time I hitchhike again and I get on a car and again, I was confused. And I, I tell the driver stop and he looks at me and he's like, you know, you, are you okay? And I'm like, um, I, I don't, I don't think I said anything. And he said, do you mind if I pray for you? And I was like, okay. So he prays and I, I get off the car and I was, by that time, I was just so confused. I, I took out my diary uh, and I kind of sit on the side of the road and I kind of start writing. And uh, at one point I kind of picked up my head and I kind of looked across and I saw this, it was this van and this lady standing outside the van with this big sign saying, I have three children and I will work for food. I thought, oh, okay. And I keep writing and one thing led to another and I decided to walk towards her. And so I, I walk over and I kind of, we start chatting and one thing leads to another. And she says, yeah, I'm actually on my way to Taos, New Mexico right now. And I said, okay, so I'm going to get on that van. And she was a Mormon and she was traveling all the way from Florida. And uh, I get on the car. She has three kids in the back of the car. And I hadn't been with a female influence or a motherly influence at the time for quite a while because I was on my own. And I just started talking and talking. And and this is the the drive from Santa Fe to Taos is just like gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. And, you know, I, I'm talking and I'm and she had three kids in the back of the car and um, she had a younger daughter, which I can't remember her name. And then she had two sons and one son, his name was Life. And then um, the oldest son, his name was Truth. And at that moment, I turned around and I looked at him straight into the eye and I said, I finally found you. <laughs> and that is how I found Truth. Whether, you know, whether it's just a mind game or a symbol, but in my mind, I kind of, did I really find the truth? No, you never stop finding the truth, right? And I think it was kind of an ideological idea that I had in my mind back then, um, you know, but. Well, you kept, you kept pursuing. So the truth was you're, you all those moments, I love this because all the moments you get out of the car and back into the car, out of the car, back in the car, like that is how, that is how you get to, to where you want to go. It, it's not the pretty picture of like, okay, here's the map. Uh, all I need to do is follow this road. I'm going to get there by 10 o'clock and there it goes. Like that rarely ever happens. It's, it's the on, off, on, off, on, off, but continuing to move forward. And the truth in that is that your desire to believe that there's something ahead for you trumped any of the lingering resistance that was trying to pull you back to where you have been. Yeah. And you kept pursuing that. And I think that takes, that takes connection to 
something higher, whatever that is, source, energy, light, whatever you want to call it. And it's just a, a magnificent example that those that are listening to this right now, there are going to be moments you get off and moments you're back on and moments you're off, you're back on. But until you know for certain you need to go back, you keep going forward. Amen. Must. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. You know, after I, I, once we got to Taos, I kind of, I got off the van and then there was this other group of kids in their twenties who were, you know, playing with a hacky sack. And, you know, I kind of chatted with them for a little bit and I guess they were all into aliens and to the Palladians. And so the journey kind of, you know, moved forward into other realms, but, um, I think those were the times, you know, kind of new age bookstores and, um, but the journey, uh, continued and, you know, life, this is life each, each, each to their own. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people can resonate with just the indecisiveness or decision fatigue, or should I have done this? And I, Oh, should I do this? Should I, should I not have done this? And what I've discovered in, in the face of like choices, right. Um, it can, they can be, we can give them a lot of meaning. We can say they're big choices. Where should I live? We can give them little meaning like, Oh, should I go this way to the store? Should I go this way to the store? But what I found for truth, as far as all that is concerned is that it doesn't really matter what choice you make because the truth is that whatever way you decide to go, it's going to teach you what it's going to teach you its inherent wisdom, right? Like it's inherent teaching is going to be there for you. Um, but I think like indecisiveness, um, like kind of that fear of the unknown, the search for certainty. I don't know if you, if you see that within patients, uh, or how you, yeah. And how do you support them in that? Uh, because we have a lot of identity around, you know, who we've grown to be and even the foods that we eat. And I call myself a this or a that, I'm a meat eater, I'm a vegan, whatever it may be. And so we step out of that, then who are we? And so that can be really scary. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it took me a while to come to terms with being indecisive back then. Um, where it, it's okay to not know because indecisiveness is basically not knowing. I, I just don't know what to do right now. And, and that's okay. So, and, and I think so much, even thinking for me, so much of the indecisiveness that in the past that I had or sometimes may have it comes from trying to decide something that maybe it's not time to make a decision about right now in this moment, but I'm kind of trying to prepare myself for the future. And, you know, I'm trying to, 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 to try to figure out what leg is going to cross, you know, what, with what leg am I going to, you know, uh, uh, get to the other side with, is it going to be my left or my right? I mean, I don't need to know that. And so it's okay to not know. And actually in medicine, you know, um, when I was in medical school, one of the professors in one of my classes out of the whole class in the middle of 
out of nowhere, points his fingers at me. And there's a hundred people in this class. And he asks me this question. And I kind of was like, oh my God, you know, I, I said, I don't know. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? One day you're going to be a great doctor because you can simply admit that you just don't know. And at the time I was like, thank the Lord, you know, I got out of this one, you know, but in, in all seriousness, you know, it's, it's, it really is okay to not know something. And, and, and like you said, you know, coming back to the present moment, being here, being now, you know, um, and perhaps it's collecting the facts, what you know, what you have, and slowly, whether it's baby steps or big strides, kind of, you know, getting going to where you want to go. So for me, I've coined the term the baby step method, which I'm sure I'm not the first to, to, to say that, but when patients come to me and whatever the change may be for themselves or things they're struggling with, it's kind of, you know, we don't have to figure it all out. You know, we don't have to create a hundred percent change right now. You know, we can take it in baby steps. And I actually encourage my, my patients, my members to, you know, what are you, what are you ready for? What do you feel you are able to, to do right now, you know, within everything that's going on in your life, rather than me telling you what you should be doing, right? It it kind of, the patient is the captain of the ship and I'm, you know, I'm sitting in the, the, the next to the driver's seat, you know, and kind of trying to help, but ultimately you're the driver and, um, it's part of the journey. So for me, a lot is kind of, and this is, I think, where spiritual medicine comes in, which is a term I kind of, I haven't really heard that term before, but it, to me, it made sense. And it's not that I, you know, I do, you know, I'm sending, it's not that kind of metaphysical type necessarily, but it's actually introducing these ideas or these values or these virtues of trust, of surrender, of have patience and love and, and integrating them, you know, into, into healthcare and, and using these words because I never heard the word love or unconditional love throughout medical school or residency. It's not common unless you're maybe a psychiatrist and psychiatry, I think is the only place where I'd heard, you know, I would hear the word compassion or, you know, forgiveness or, but it's not common in kind of day-to-day kind of, you know, hospital kind of pharmaceutical kind of proper medicine. And, oh man, that, that, that is to me so important. And over the years in my journey, I've kind of learned to value that, that I bring it in. Now, some people don't need to hear this. And, you know, it's not to say that this needs to fit everybody because it doesn't. And again, it's, it's the patient that kind of guides the interaction. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of here to adjust myself to what I feel or sense, you know, is kind of appropriate. That said, I, spiritual medicine, that's kind of, 
to me, it's important. And it's, it's important to, um, to love ourselves and to acknowledge and to acknowledge not knowing and to forgive or to whatever it may be out there. Um, it's, it's part of the journey for sure, especially when it comes to health and healing and that in and of itself is a whole journey, uh, especially when you're coming from a disease-based environment or, or a psychological or some depression or, or whatever it may be. Um, we need a, we need a, 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 a supportive and nurturing kind of environment. And I encourage people to be that for themselves as well. You know, you need to nurture yourself. Go home today and look yourself straight in the eye. And I'm going to write this prescription. I want you TID, which means three times a day and, you know, in, in, in medical terms to kind of look yourself straight in the eye and say, I love you. And I think you're awesome. You know, it, it, it can be as simple as something like that to just acknowledge the journey you're on and who you are, etc. So, Wow. Yeah. We wanted to hear about spiritual energy and that's certainly, that's, that's, captivates everything that that we thought it would be but i i there's such a place for that there's such a uh an opportunity to feel more and not be so robotic about things and so you know habitual about things and, and maybe interrupt the process in our lives a little bit so we can explore what it's like to actually have feel feel compassion feel love feel these things um and that we don't need to have all the answers you know i think you probably experience this too people will say, I'll, I'll start doing that once I know, once I know why, or once I get this figured out, then I'll be able to, to, to move forward. And, and some of that stuff about figuring out is none of our business. Like it's, it's at a higher level where we, we're, we, we may just never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's just keep taking steps that feel good to move us forward. Mm-hmm. And I think the spiritual medicine is that it is that it's that all encompassing. Let's just go on this journey together and figure out let's be honest who you are and, and who you want to be. And uh, along that way, let's, let's bring some health into this equation. Yeah, absolutely. I think health is inevitable. If we're leaning into trust, we're leaning into love, we're leaning into kindness. I think an elevation of health is, is the byproduct of, hmm. of that, that type of mindset, right? Like, fear, indecision, fear, judgment, or, or judging, um, comparison, energy, all of that creates a lot of stress uh, in our lives. I think what you're doing is, is beautiful. It's, it's just, the, it's the, you've just expressed the most beautiful words I've ever heard a physician speak. And we've, we've interviewed a lot of physicians on this podcast. And I wish we, we, we only release the audio, but if people could see, like, you've got like fists in the air, like you're just, you're so passionate. It's, it's absolutely beautiful what you're doing. And I, I believe that you're doing, do you feel, I I believe, but do you feel like you're doing like you're on purpose with, you know, your, your personal legend to bring it all back to the alchemist, like your purpose or your dharma? You know, I, I, I'm a human being like everybody. I have my moments, you know, uh, (laughs) doubt creeps in. I, you know, I, I try to stay grounded and a lot of what I preach, I kind of, you know, I, I have to support and nurture myself still. Um, you know, uh, so, um, you know, I, 
I do wish my parents allowed me to play soccer when I was that teenager, that maybe I would have become a soccer player, but you know, I can't change that anymore. Um, you know? um, so, well, this is where life led me. So this is where I'm at. Um, this is where I led myself as well. So, you know, I'm, uh, I, 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 I do reflect a lot. Uh, I think reflection is important. You know, I reflect about, um, you know, I, I think about life. I think about existence. I, I think about these things maybe too often, but it's kind of what keeps me sober. It's what keeps me sane, especially in kind of the last two years. You know, these were tough times to say the least. And, um yeah, I, uh, it's so, you know, I, uh, I don't, I, I'm a human being, you know, I'm a human you're being. very, you're very humble. I, I very humble. It, I doing... keep it humble because, yeah. you know, you never know when it's going to come and kind of bite you in the behind. <laughs> so I, I kind of choose to kind of, I'm grateful. Don't get me wrong. You know, I have my moments in the car where I'm listening to the the greatest showman soundtrack and, you know, the, those, the, and I have those moments with myself, you know, where I kind of, I'm, I'm grateful and uh, I'm, you know, yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, I'm so grateful for your time today. And uh, obviously people in your area can connect with you through the empowerment website. And we'll put a link to that in our show notes. But also people can connect with you with plant-based telehealth. Um, and there's a, there'll be a list there of all the states that you are licensed. New Hampshire within. and Massachusetts. New Hampshire and Massachusetts. Okay. And, and plant-based telehealth, they have, I think, we're, we're, uh, we have physicians who are licensed in, I think, in almost all of the states. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so um, a shout-out to plant-based telehealth, um, you know, just a wonderful group of physicians. Um, we're all very much kind of like-minded. Um, you know, uh, I think all of us, all the physicians in that group are so grateful to just to be part of plant-based telehealth because we have this, we have now a lot of colleagues and a camaraderie that we're all kind of, we don't have to explain it. We're all kind of thinking on the same, you know, the same wavelength and it's, they're they're all wonderful. They're just all wonderful. So, yeah, it's an amazing group. We've been so blessed mm-hmm. to uh, to interview pretty much every single one of them. And I go and I check the meet the doctors, and I'm like, oh, there's more, there's more, Doctor Sitzer, let's get him on. Uh, so, thank you again for being here. So grateful for your time today. Um, and we'll put all links for people to connect with you if they want more of you and. Um, yeah. Anything else you'd like to say to the audience before we sign off? I appreciate that. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for this conversation. You know, um, it's, yeah, it was fun. It's nice. I mean, I've, I've had my share of goosebumps on and off throughout the last hour. So when that happens, it's always a, it's a great feeling. So I appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys. And for, appreciate you guys for bringing this consciousness, you know, bringing, bring, and putting it out there and kind of, uh, and making it real for others as well. So we all need yeah. that. We all need yeah. it. Yeah. So. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.